everybody, it's He Yang. Roundtable is thrilled to launch the UniTalk Challenge: Rising Stars of Roundtable. If you like the show and enjoy our discussions, why not take the stage yourself? Calling all university students, both undergraduates and postgrads, to engage in an English discussion on a topic that ignites your passion. Record your discussion, which consists more than one person, and send it to us at ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. You could be the next rising star of Roundtable. An incredible opportunity awaits, so seize the moment. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Xing Yu and Brandon Yates in the studio. Coming up, not too long ago, when the Writers Guild of America or WGA strike was happening, Disney CEO Bob Iger said something that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. He said that the guild's hope for better pay wasn't practical. Yet, lots of folks were fast to highlight that Iger earns over 500 times more than what most of his employees make. Our CEOs paid too much. And starting this spring, social media platforms have exploded with posts from adventurous young souls in China, all on a quest to discover uninhabited islands where they can find serenity and a deeper connection to nature. Do you like this idea? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. If you have questions that you want us to answer on social issues, business, technology, or whatever moves your spirit, you can send those our way. There's a place to do it: ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Emails are fine, but voice memos are always better, and we'd really appreciate it if you could include your name and region of residence in that voice memo. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, it's no secret that corporate executives are paid a lot. Especially the CEOs or chief executive officers of top American companies. Over the past decades, the gap between CEO pay and the medium income of an average company employee has ballooned. Now it's hit hundreds. Even thousands of times, perhaps unsurprisingly, many workers feel business leaders receive too much income for the jobs they perform. But while there is more anger than pity circulating for the corporate elite, a deeper discussion suggests the issue is more complicated than is widely portrayed. So, how much does a CEO in a global Fortune 500 company make nowadays?、Mm-hmm. Well, in 2022. The Wall Street Journal published this list of top ten highest-paid CEOs in the U.S. And Stephen Schwartzman, he is the CEO of Blackstone, the world's leading investment firm. He led the list with a total compensation package of two hundred fifty-three million dollars,、hmm. and it was followed by Sundar Pichai of Alphabet. It's the Google's parent company. He took home. Two hundred twenty-six million dollars, and the third highest-paid CEO was Stephen Schur of American car rental company Hertz, and he earned、uh, around one hundred eighty-two million dollars last year. So, compared to the company's average worker's salary of around thirty-six thousand dollars, 
That's alarmingly big number. That's crazy. The CEO made 4,983 times of what median workers did in a year. So that's a shocking number. And also, Huyang、um, just mentioned the Disney CEO Bob Iger. Last year, he earned a total of 27 million compensation package, including a base salary of one million dollars. And this year, he just renewed his contract with Disney, and the company gave him the opportunity to receive an annual incentive bonus five times that of his base salary. So that's where does that come from? Where do those numbers? Is that from stock options? Where do those extra numbers come from, as opposed to their base salary? I think that's the disparaging issue: is that these CEOs have access to all of these other additional sources of income that the average worker wouldn't have access to. That's why these numbers just balloon so astronomically. Yeah, but isn't it also? A fact that those who are paying these CEOs want to pay them that much,、mm-hmm. and therefore giving them the stocks and shares options,、mm. as opposed to、um, you know an average employee、Salary. who would dream of such things, but you're not given it. So,、yeah. and also with the、uh, Disney's CEO Bob Iger, he just came back from retirement, and I suppose who <laughs> wouldn't want to if you're offered such a lucrative payment package? But also, on the other hand, you could argue that it's the board having faith in this man being able to sort of direct the helm and、uh, take this company through these rocky waters of、yeah. the pandemic and. Everything、like、that as- comes with that. Yeah, you would like to assume that the CEOs, besides, you know, you know, obviously they're earning their base salary, but all of these extra additional revenue streams. I'm not. I'm still not 100 sure where those come from. But regardless of where they come from, you would assume that faith is placed in them to perform duties that average workers cannot. So、mm. I guess these companies are placing. A large monetary value on abilities that these men or women have to perform tasks that benefit a massive company. So there is a lot of pressure on these guys and women too that you know earn huge amounts of money. Maybe more pressure than you know the average worker at these companies has in terms of the overall success of a company that might have. Tens of thousands of employees.、Mm-hmm. That's a valid point.、Mm. But how do you feel that this person is being paid five hundred times that's, that's more than、thing. you? Yeah. I yeah. think that's the thing. These the salaries that are linked to these CEOs. You know, if they're earning more every single year, I think it still needs to be on par with increases that the average worker earns. There can still be a massive gap between the CEO and an average worker because, look, you know, unfortunately, these CEOs probably have skills and abilities that average workers. You know, and middle management don't have, and they've also, you know, climbed the ranks to reach a certain level, and they're being rewarded for that. However, there can't be such a massive gap between the increase, whether it be annual every two or three years, in terms of salaries. So, if the CEO's salary is going up two, three times every single year, that can't be okay if it's also not being applied to everybody else in the company. I think so. There needs to be more. Equality in terms of the amounts, in terms of percentages that salaries go up on a yearly or every two or three year basis. Yeah, and also I think why now CEO pay is being talked so much about recently, 
because in the past, the number, the CEO to worker pay ratio, that number wasn't that shocking. Mm. Um, according to a report from the Economic Policy Institute in 1965, so the CEO to typical worker pay ratio was just 20 to 1. And in 1989, it was 58 to 1. So that... But what's causing that? That's what I think needs to be... That's what needs to be investigated is that they might... I mean... I don't think these companies are doing this, you know, to make their middle management and lower income workers feel bad. There must be some explanation as to why these higher ranked officials in companies are able to earn these crazy amounts of money. Yeah. Um, according to my research, this figure increased significantly in the 1980s and 1990s because the position of CEOs were held in high esteem. And also a major portion of their salary was linked to the stock performance mm. of their company. According to the U.S. Congressional Budget Office, from 1989 to 2019, the total wealth held by the top 10% of U.S. families grew from $24 trillion to $82 trillion with an increase of 240%. And in comparison, those families in the bottom half of wealth distribution saw their worth increase just 65%. So mm. there's a great discrepancy there. That's the biggest problem, I think, is the, the gap in terms of how salaries are increasing between the haves and the have-nots. But also, you know, that's another thing, the CEOs and board members and that kind of thing the success of their company, which they drive in terms of steering the ship, is built on the back of these, you know, middle management and lower income workers. However, because they are in those positions of power, like you said, they also have access to stock options. So mm -hmm. if their company succeeds, if yeah. they've got 20% share in a company like Apple and their profits skyrocket, then of course their annual salaries are also going to skyrocket, whereas you know, the middle management and lower income workers kind of remain the same or see very minimal increases. And I think that's that's something that companies can also work on is distributing those success levels better amongst everybody as opposed to just the board members and the CEO. What you say is definitely what most people would call music to their ears. But the problem here is that those in power don't want to share make the <laughs> rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah right. And, um, and also, you asked, why do CEOs earn so much money now? Well, there are plenty of factors. One thing key to this philosophy of rewarding CEOs handsome or exorbitantly handsome amounts is comes back to shareholder capitalism. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, it is shareholders' interest that has been considered here. And of course, it's in the CEO, as well as board members' uh, interest to see if you can maximize profits. And um, for them, though, not for your employees, for like you said, with with shareholders as the priority. Exactly. Yeah. But also bear in mind that with certain arrangements in some companies that the shareholder could be the average person yeah. as well, but not always. Mm -hmm. But the problem here is that if the company, the CEO, as well as those in power are always driven by profit to the shareholder, then they overlook other more also very important 
factors in a company, and that's why it's become increasingly popular to talk about stakeholder capitalism as opposed to shareholders. But also, you know, you need to see if that's really come to fruit. And some say that it's still more of a lip service being paid here. And also, we've seen the celebrity CEO phenomenon.、Mm-hmm. Um, these CEOs, they're selling books, they're selling out、uh, big venues and giving speeches. And I think this is very much originally an American phenomenon that there's such. Drive, if not worship, towards those who quote unquote succeed, who make big money in a society. When yeah, one of them became president. I mean, that just yeah. You, no, yeah. honestly, that just shows you how much value is placed on you know success and someone being individual and you know making money for themselves and you know the American dream, etc. I think that was personified with the election of Donald Trump. It shows you that American culture is geared towards celebrating those who, you know, whether it's true or not, but they. Exude that image of personal success and you know power and fame and wealth and that kind of thing.、Yeah. So there seems to be a celebration of that in that country in particular. You know that whole that idea that anybody can do anything with their lives and become as successful、mm-hmm. as they as they want without any hindrance or legislational rules stopping them、mm-hmm. from becoming successful. Yeah, it's really interesting when you look at different studies on this phenomenon. You know, it's kind of easy for some people to sort of. Jump to the conclusion that greed is good by the sound of it, because these are the people who <laughs> who get the big paychecks and the stock options. But、um, in practice, people should watch for at least two things. For one, the American market for CEOs is far from perfectly efficient. Many bosses loom large over their boardrooms and may cow notionally independent remuneration committees. So two in five S&P 500 CEOs also chair their boards. And a recent survey of American company directors by PwC, a consultancy, showed that one in two thought executives were overpaid,、mm. and any reservations they may harbor and express in the comfort of an anonymous survey dissipate when confronted with the flesh and blood chairman. Or women,、yeah. occasionally, and another concern would be that when times are tough for the common folk, it can have unwanted consequences, and that is emblematic of the summer 2023 when you saw so many labor disputes、mm. and protests in the U.S.、Um, and many other countries actually, and、um, when this original dispute sort of surfaced, when、uh, Bob. Iger、mm. said that. Well, you know what you're asking here, workers, is simply not realistic. So,、um, it's kind of also interesting to see what kind of societal effect does this have. As now we see, this is how much your CEO is being paid. Yeah.、Mm. Um, according to my research,、uh, Fast Company, a monthly American business magazine. According to its research, that extreme gaps between a worker's pay and a CEO's income have proved to have this business impacts, such as poorer employee morale, reduced productivity among regular workers, and also higher turnover rates.、Um, so these also increased the level of income inequality among、uh, employers and CEO in a company, and also it widens the wealth gap. I guess. Yeah.、Mm. But also, I think it's important, or it's kind of useful, just to wave the flag. You know, it's really easy to hate on the rich, 
to hate on the haves when you're the have-nots. But uh, Brandon kind of touched upon this up front in this discussion that, you know, there's one side of things that is, you know, people worked hard to get to that position and rightfully so. But or, or just, you know, sorry, uh, sometimes mm. they're also placed in positions, you know, maybe they're the son of a CEO or maybe <laughs> they are, you know, born with superior intelligence or are able to go to certain schools and that kind of thing. So, yes, some people do really ascend to the top of companies, but some people, unfortunately, this is a, a case of life as well. Some people are born into privilege or have certain gifts from birth even that, you know, others don't. And have the connections. Yeah. So Right place, right time. Yeah, so it's a bag of mixed factors mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. contribute to this reality. Mm-hmm. But I think it's um, kind of important to have a balanced view on what's really going on. But that being said, with those people that find themselves in positions of power, with that position, I think there's a lot of them that could do a lot more mm. to benefit people that are below them. And I think they need to be a lot more considerate of the people that maintain their success at the top. Yeah, that's very well said. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly the controversy surrounding CEO salaries is nothing new. The last time I saw so much discussion was in 2008 of the financial crisis. That was, yes, I've been around the block long enough, I suppose. <laughs> and uh, I remember that was when, you know, we were just graduating and, uh, well, not yet, but certainly there was a like the CEOs or anybody who worked on Wall Street would get an earful of well, because bad, nobody, nobody bad was, press. Yeah, because nobody was punished. I mean, that whole 2008 crash, I mean, no, you know, people mm. lost their entire savings, people lost jobs. But all of these, you know, higher ups and people in power that kind of instigated this whole crash, nobody seemed to really get punished. I don't know anybody, any high ranking banker or Wall Street type of person that saw any prison time Mm. for basically Mm. collapsing the world's economy. Exactly. And therefore, when the fat cats did not receive the revenge that people wanted to see, and then after... And some of them knowingly knew that this crash was going to happen and made trades that would benefit them when the crash happened. I don't know if you've seen the film The Big Short. Yes. So there were investors, and look, they just took advantage of a market, Mm. but they saw this crash was going to happen and made huge amounts of money Mm. off that crash, which is also disgraceful. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong or illegal, but, you know, there were people that made a fortune off the misery Mm. of millions of other people. Exactly. And it's unfortunate how things pan out. And I think we're also seeing the residual effects of that nowadays. And now here's a renewed discussion about CEO pay and also coming out of the pandemic when the American stock exchange sort of soared and a lot of companies benefited um, or profited hugely from it. And if you ask the board members, a lot of them actually don't mind the CEOs getting as much as they did because the board members are getting more. So... Yeah, it's um, it's a complicated story, but it's also important to look at measures to counter that, if that's possible. And um, now, I mean, this is very much an American story. So let's see what um, the measures have gone into the hope of correcting the pay a little bit. Yeah. 
So in 2016, uh, Portland in Oregon approved a tax on businesses for which the CEO makes more than 100 times a typical worker. <laughs> and then in 2020, San Francisco did the same. They required increasing tax rates for higher ratios. And in 2021, uh, U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders and others have introduced a Tax Excessive CEO Pay Act. So it would increase tax rates on companies with a CEO to worker pay ratio higher than 50 to 1. All I right. mean, is that the answer, though? I mean, mm. I guess I think their hope there is that they will encourage CEOs and board members to then distribute those that income more evenly amongst the company. But I think it would make more sense to not necessarily tax the rich more, but maybe place some sort of legislation into place where those earnings are better distributed within the company as opposed to, you know, taxing the rich more and that, you know, money just going straight to the government. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that the idea there is, yeah. is to give an incentive to CEOs to be like, wow, okay, let's avoid big taxes and actually take some of these earnings and distribute it better within our company. I guess that's the idea. Mm. So there are actually studies show that um, these regulations had little effect on <laughs> no CEOs' surprise there. paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and should I just point out that this gastronomical CEO pay is not the case everywhere. European and Japanese company CEOs are paid less in comparison. But... Still, there are handsome amounts. And, um, you know, that, that's capitalism, I suppose, in full run. Pros and cons. Yeah. Every system has pros and cons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And coming up, social media has been buzzing with posts of daring young folks in China heading out to deserted islands. What drives them to a lonely island? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Xingyu and Brandon Yates in the studio. Since the spring, social media has been blown up with Posts of adventurous young people in China exploring uninhabited islands, seeking solitude and a connection with nature. These islands, particularly in Yantai, Shandong province, offer nice beaches, sometimes rocky though, because that's what the local geographic condition is, <laughs> and photo opportunities without the crowds, and of course, a chance to experience an unspoiled natural environment. Yantai has become a hotspot for this unique form of tourism, thanks to its many islands, convenient access, and affordability. Travelers need to be prepared for going to these undeveloped locations and think about how their visit might affect the environment, may I just say. And guys, have you ever considered going off the beaten path to explore remote and uninhabited islands? What do you think of this uh, trend? Just one thing before we start. I love the the, the idea of abandoned islands becoming more popular. <laughs> the fact that people, more people are seeking out abandoned places kind of defeats the purpose of finding abandoned places because eventually <laughs> those places won't be abandoned anymore. Yeah. So it's quite like counterproductive, but it's it's pretty, I, I get the idea. It's just, it's, it just sounds funny in my head. Yeah. More people are seeking abandoned islands. <laughs> well, these places that previously people just knew nothing about. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, personally, I do like the sea and the beach, but I am not a fan of going to a desert island alone or remote <laughs> island alone. But I can see why these young people, they 
would love to explore these uninhabited islands. For many of them, going to a desert island offers an escape from the bustling city life. And also, uh, it's near the sea, near the nature. And also, they can get away from places that are so packed with mm-hmm. tourists. So I think that's one of the key factors. And also, He Yang mentioned the Yantai. Yantai in Shandong province, have you been there? Yen- no, no. It's, it's a city, but less popular or less touristy than Qingdao and Weihai. But Yantai, the city has abundant island resources. Uh, if we look at its geographical environment, it actually has around 215 islands, small and large. And the city is built along the coastline. And it also offers a well-developed transportation. So it's easy to get access to these separate islands mm-hmm. and also... By uninhabited, it doesn't mean there's nobody on the island. Uh, you will see some of the local fishermen and villagers, but because these islands are lesser known, so they're not so crowded with mm. tourists. So that's are, the key. Are they still mm. habitable though? Like, do they have accommodation and you know internet and electricity and all of that kind they of thing? They do have internet. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but I mean, like, bring your phone. So like you can go there and still you know live comfortably. You won't have to like camp or anything like that. It sounds like it's more like a day trip. You oh, okay. Necess- so it's not like you won't go to an island for a week. Yeah. No. Okay. No, 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 no. So it's an excursion. <laughs> kind yeah. of. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, maybe that's the fun. Because mm. um, if you live in China, then you've probably seen when it's the national holiday of some sort. And mm. then tourist areas can be packed. Yeah. Like sardines. <laughs> it's just... Yeah too busy so busy that it sometimes makes you like just put off the idea of traveling altogether so i can see why this trend is becoming popular in china in particular because i think china's in a unique position where iconic tourist destinations are just ridiculously packed with people compared to the rest of the world surely you know purely because of the the population numbers in china yeah Mm. and now these days more and more chinese people want to travel and yes and given the pandemic has i think in a way cultivated a habit for chinese nationals to explore Mm. all different places (laughs) inside the country Mm -hmm. and um so the tourist areas become really very busy and uh, this reminds me of years ago when i traveled to new zealand and i was talking to a friend a local resident there about you know how busy is busy as such and did you talk to them about how south africa has a better rugby team than them (laughs) Because it's true. <laughs> See, I wouldn't know that, you know. Right? Next, next time you go. Yeah, yeah next time. Next time. <laughs> and then I remember that that Kiwi friend simply said, well, you know, here you just drive your car to whatever beach and that's an uninhabited beach. Mm. And uh, we have that it's in South Africa yours. too, yeah. Oh. So I think that's why Chinese people in particular have this need to, to find these places because I think it's harder to find in China than mm. other countries around the world. It's mm. the same in Cape Town. I mean, obviously there are popular beaches that are filled with people, mm-hmm. but if you get in your car and you drive for, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, you could easily find an uninhabited uh, beach or, you know, area for hiking or, you know, just untouched nature, basically. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And despite all the buzz and the hype, I just like to say, you know, sustainability and responsible tourism is something that is important. Mm. And sometimes when we travel, we forget that you're having an impact on this place that you call a travel destination. So Mm. do you worry at all with, um, well, 
um, maybe it's a good thing that it's not huge numbers of people going to these uninhabited islands. But after the show, maybe more people have this idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you think there are some like final tips of caution or whatnot that you like to, to highlight here? I think it's regardless of a, whether a destination is super popular or not, whether there's 10 people visiting or 10 million people visiting. I think it's very important for any tourist to realize that when you're visiting a place, and even when you're at home, just to be aware of your surroundings and just respect where you are. And even though you're enjoying it, it's not just for you. You know, yeah. it's something that needs to be sustainable so that multiple people and multiple generations can enjoy a certain area. So I think it's a good thing for any nation to promote to their people, whether it's domestic or international travel, to just respect your environments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also um, minimize the waste you make or um, there's a leave no trace campaign around. Mm -hmm. So wherever we go, we should properly dispose of waste and minimize your impact on the place. And I understand that um, you yearn for nature's tranquil grace, but to protect these gems, hidden gems, we need to preserve these islands, and uh, that's where they thrive. And that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much, Brandon Yates and Xing Yu, for joining this discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.